Hey there, it's Adam. This episode is going to be a little different because today we're flipping the script. Usually I get to interview people from the world of 3D printing to have a transparent, no BS conversation, but today Justin is interviewing me. Justin hosts live stream maker hangouts on YouTube and he's going to be one of our tiny belt beta testers. This interview was actually a live stream on his channel not too long ago but I converted it to audio only for the podcast. I will make sure to link to the original video version in the description. I highly recommend you check it out because I do share my screen to show a couple things and obviously you won't see that in the audio only version. Thank you in advance for listening and happy printing. Hello YouTube. Welcome to the first live stream with Adam from Powerbelt 3D. He is the creator of, well, the Power Belt Zero, and now soon to be the Tiny Belt, which is going to have some pretty amazing features compared to some of the other printers on the market. Um, so we got lots of stuff to, you know, ask him today, and he's a little nervous, so uh, be a little nice to him if you wouldn't mind. I know Brian likes to play his jokes, so I'm going to go ahead and bring in Adam and uh, let him talk about his company to start. Here is Adam. Are we live? Are we? We doing are this? live. We're doing. Oh this. my gosh! This is so exciting. <laughs> right? It's awesome. We got four people watching. I thought nice. we had eight. I don't know what happened. Everyone wow. just vanished. They dish at the last minute. I'm sure they'll be. Yep. Anyway. Oh yeah. Right. So anyway, welcome to your first ever live stream. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> different uh, compared to recording videos because you know if we screw up, it's on us. <laughs> yeah. Normally, normally um, I stick to Zoom, but I'm really looking yes. forward to like the interaction with yes. the audience and being able to answer questions on the fly and all that. So, right, uh, Chris Lane says hey, and oh. we got oh Jake Hi, from Chris. State Farm. He's uh, <laughs> in the Voron community. He's pretty cool. Maker Viking. I'm sure you've heard of him. I have. Uh, yep. These are all names that I recognize from Twitter. Good. Super cool. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's it's. And Mr. Viking with his custom design printers, so he's going nuts. There, oh, your your hero right oh, here. Hi, Bill. Yeah, I was just saying uh, before we went live. I'm a big fan of uh, of your work. I was actually at Murph in 2017. I think that was the right year when you had that uh, modified MakerBot with the conveyor belt. Super, super cool, super inspiring. So. Yeah. So um, obviously we're trying to get a few more people in. So that's why I'm letting chat kind of build it up. Oh, people talking in chat. That happens. Um, we got 11 people. So, well, we might as well start off, you know, with who you are, your company's history, et cetera. You know, where, where this just started from, because it seems like you've been printing for quite a few years now. Sure. So my 3D printing journey started just a little over eight years ago. Um, I was a chemical engineering student at the time, um, and I had a temporary job in San Francisco. Um, and this is more of an origin story than just like a blanket introduction. So we'll get back to that yeah. later. Um, from, a, from a high level, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've been 3D printing for over eight years now. I've been working with printers from under $200 to over $200,000, some of the higher end industrial stuff. Um, really, I, I love the technology. Um, I want to, to try to put something good 
into the world. Um, in 2018, I started prototyping. Hey, Grant. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. In 2018, I started um, prototyping my very first conveyor belt 3D printer. And at the time, it was just for fun because I wanted one and I saw the things like the black belt or even the white knight, mm -hmm. um, even though it's a self-build, it's still an expensive printer. And yes. I was like, there has to be a way that I can get the cost down because I was so irritated with having to babysit my printers and yes. constantly pry parts off the building. Um, so I started building it. I went in like some Facebook groups and like sold some kits to people just like person to person. Um, I bought all the aluminum profiles from Granger and I cut them by hand with a hacksaw on the steps behind my apartment at the time. Um, and kind of, I didn't, I didn't have a ton of money, right? I was working yeah. a full-time job. It was my first job out of school. So I kept like trying to build gradually from there. Um, in 2019, I went to Earth with my prototype printer um, and I did a pre-order uh, solely through the Powerbelt website. Sold about 20 printers from there. Um, really wanted to hit the ground running at the beginning of 2020, uh, placing our first orders with international suppliers, aluminum profiles, sheet metals, electronics, the whole deal. Um, and 2020 was not the best year to no. be launching your first product <laughs> and trying to deliver on promises to pre-order people. Um, so it was challenging. Right, like I, I made mistakes. Suppliers were late. Parts didn't come in perfectly for the very first batch of printers, um, and then I made mistakes. Like I just forgot to put some parts in boxes because I was doing this at nine o'clock at night after my real job. Um, so, kind of as we progressed and grew into twenty twenty one, we sold more printers. Um, I figured out the, the Formula 32 combination of materials for our conveyor belts, which I think mm -hmm. makes us um, really unique and different compared to some of the other offerings. Um, but it also helped business side of things um, because people were able to buy conveyor belts for their own machines. Um, and then we sold out of the zeros. And I had been working on another design a little bit for a while. Um, I realized, I guess fairly early with the zero that, um, I had strayed away from my original goal of making the Ender 3 of conveyor belt 3D printers. Right. So a lot of what I've seen on the internet so far these days are like, I'm so sick of Ender 3s. They're all the same. Um, <laughs> but, and while I share that frustration for sure, um, how cool would it be? If instead of the Ender 3 being so popular that it's annoying, it was a fully automated printer. Like if yes. it got that widespread and like <laughs> what that would enable people to do is just really inspiring for me to think about. Um, so that was a long answer. Um, but I think it covers the whole journey from <laughs> kind of the first prototype to, to where we are today. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, now you're doing your first, you know, Kickstarter, you're, you know, you're bringing out a printer for the masses. That's yeah. The zero was $400, but there were, I'm sure there were some downsides to that. Yeah. You know? 
so the zero first pre-ordered for four hundred dollars um but as i started learning more about how much parts actually cost and how much shipping from china costs and all of those factors i couldn't possibly like keep selling for four hundred dollars um so the price moved up to uh, 744 and then creality kind of matched that price point um but they have a much better reputation compared to yeah. and and resources right they they've been making printers for years they've got tons of employees versus um like even today i'm still shipping out of my house i'm hoping to um get into a new office um in just a few days actually so that's nice. an exciting development that's awesome. where we'll have more space we'll have our own storefront all that sort of thing that's going to be awesome so um what got you originally into 3d printing what what hit that uh, 3d printing nerve yeah so i started going down that path with the first question but i'm glad i backed up otherwise i would have just kept talking um right. so i used to think 3d printing was overrated um i didn't get it i was like you're just making stuff out of plastic like i can make stuff out of plastic i used to take a dremel and like plexiglass and like cut different shapes out of them to make stuff because i've been making stuff like in the basement or the garage since i was like 12 years old right it's okay. always like yeah been really? part of my personality exactly um so i didn't get it i thought it was dumb um and that all changed when i went out to san francisco for uh, a very short-term job for instructables slash autodesk so i was one of the first five people in a pilot program at the time for what they called artist in residence um i think they've shifted more towards like a manufacturing incubator type thing instead of this but at the time um i walked into um their multi-million dollar facility on pier nine in san francisco and they had laser cutters and they had uh, you know, half a million dollar object printers, and they had uh, 11 axis CNCs, and I didn't even know CNCs could have 11 axes. Um, but I grew up in Ohio, and at that time, um, there weren't 3D printers in every school, right? 3D printers right. still cost $2,000, $5,000 on the very low end. Um, so I had never used a 3D printer before. Um, I had never seen one in person. I had just seen it online. Um, and that's really when the flip, the switch flipped for me because I was using Tinkercad at the time. And like within an hour, like I could draw something and then hold it. Nice. And that just totally changed how I thought about making things and making projects. Um, so from that point on, um, it was like a six week job, that sort of thing. Cause it was a pilot program. Um, I went back to Ohio there were no 3D printers. Right. Um, I switched from chemical engineering to mechanical engineering. Um, I'm assuming we have some engineers watching or listening sure. to this. Um, yeah, organic chemistry just really, really kicked me, put me in my place. Uh, so I switched over to mechanical. It was a better fit anyway. Um, and then I wanted to try to change things in the area and like bring what I had learned in San Francisco back home. So I uh, was working a graphic design job over the summer. Um, and 
I, in my downtime, wrote up like a 10 page proposal um, and I brought it to my academic advisor. And I was like, I want to start a makerspace like here at the university with students. Um, turns out they'd already found some grant funding. So we did that. I wrote all of the procedures for the makerspace. I brought in 3D printers and laser cutters and got more experience that way. Um, then I built a printer from a kit, one of those acrylic I3 mm -hmm. frame type of things. Um, a few makers that still have those. Yes, I uh, I have salvaged parts and like built and rebuilt. So I kind of wish I had the original at this point because it would be fun like to look back on. Um, but I don't. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, then I uh, I graduated. I uh, I moved to Syracuse, New York. Um, I really, really wanted to get into the three D printing industry. Um, right. And Ohio still being Ohio. Yes. Didn't have a ton of opportunities, at least at the time that I was graduating. Um, I know things have developed a lot since then. Yes. Um, so I worked for a Stratasys SolidWorks district. Um, so that's where I got even more experience with the high-end equipment, what that user experience is like, what it does compared to the stuff I had at home. Um, but ultimately, I've wanted to run my own business since I was like 12. Like, it was always something right. that that I knew my dad ran his own business the whole time I was growing up. And it was always something that, uh, that I wanted. So um, that's kind of what, as I progressed through 3D printing and got different experiences in different, uh, mm -hmm. different areas. Right. Um, so what's your, what's your favorite thing about the 3D print world besides the rapid prototyping? Because that's most of ours, being able to see something just appear. Yeah. But, you know, uh, we got Gector. All right. No idea who Gector is, but welcome to my, uh, <laughs> my stream. Welcome. Welcome one and all. Um, um, I love being able to see an idea really take shape. Um, probably my favorite thing about it is um, that it's now accessible and normal. Yes. Like, I think back to when I was, you know, in junior high and I was making stuff in the basement or the garage and I was taking apart old remote controls, um, how hard it was to make stuff, like bring my ideas to life. Right. And so I, I love that nowadays kids are able to just have 3D printers in their classroom or they're cheap enough where they can be Christmas presents for a lot of families. I know my little cousin just got one um, last year. Um, and I, I really like that, um, I guess maker culture, um, is more of a thing than it was when I was growing up because I very much didn't know if other people had like my interests or where to connect with other people of my interests. Um, and so I think that's all, that's all really cool. And I also look forward to when those kids grow up and can, take all of that knowledge and help educate kind of like the, the older, uh, more established engineers um, and see how that impacts the products that we use on a, on a daily basis. Right. Uh, what's the thing that frustrates you the most about this industry? Um, I think for new people, it is so confusing. Mm -hmm. And that's actually why I started the 3D Print Authority podcast to try to like, just 
demystify everything that's going on by interviewing um, the real people behind a lot of 3D printing companies or ideas. Um, like, if you're just starting out, it's nearly impossible to, to like, figure your way into buying your first machine quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, people are going through Reddit threads and Facebook groups, and it's, like, a running um, awful joke of, like, um, what what's the best printer under $500? Like, the question gets asked mm -hmm. 100 times a day in different Facebook groups. Um, but then who are you listening to? Are you listening to, like, an engineer? Are you listening to just a hobbyist? Are you listening to... Um, you know, someone on Reddit or YouTube. Ultimately, it's just like subjective opinion. Um, and I feel like that is a barrier that people struggle with when and might not even get into it as a hobby or as a business um, because they just don't know where to look. Um, and I find it really frustrating, especially when I was working at the Stratasys distributor. Um, I would meet with tons of different companies, tons of different industries, and their knowledge of 3D printing was sometimes, um, like they would hire an intern and they'd be like, hi, hi intern, please figure out what printer we should buy. And they would, they would make a spreadsheet and it would be everything oh, from an Ender 3 up to a big rep, XYZ, big reps, yeah. whatever it is, like $200 to $600,000. And they'd be like, all right, which one do we need? And they had no clue like where to start even right um and so it told me that um a 3d printing is confusing for the uninitiated and two um i really want to see a world where you know it's easier for both individuals and for businesses to be able to you know make some of those decisions and be confident making those decisions right um so uh, you've been printing for as long as you have. What is, over the years, the coolest thing you've ever printed outside of designing something for printers? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. So I used to build cool things. One of the things I did, um, <laughs> you can, <laughs> now I get the most, so one of the things that I was super, super proud of in junior high was I irresponsibly built a series of wrist-mounted flamethrowers. So, like, you could press a button and pull your hand back and, like, shoot oh, flames like Iron Man. Uh, my mom painful. hated it. Hated oh, yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but she also didn't stop me. I was I was too stubborn. Um, so I wish I had an example like that, but I don't. Um, some of the coolest things that I like now are, like, my super practical household prints mm -hmm. where I can, like, solve a problem. Um, yes. And they're, us they're usually stupid small things. Like, oh, I printed a sponge holder. Or, like, my wife uh, struggled to hang a shoe rack in the closet, so I, like, printed some little clips for it to right. make what we had work. Um, or I'll 3D print, like, little toys for our cat to bat around. Um, little stuff like that, I think, is, uh, is really fun. So. Nice. Um, what's the thing, so, you know, we all have that thing that we want to print that we just have never gotten to. I've got something for my wife I promised her five years ago. <laughs> the problem is I have to design it and I haven't grasped CAD. Uh, what's something that you haven't printed 
whether it be with a belt printer or whatever, something with SLS, you know, no restrictions. What would you print if you could? No restrictions. Oh, this is such a cool, a cool question. Um, I want to print a watch. A watch. That sounds uh, that sounds like such a boring hmm. question. So let me give some no, context I mean, for yeah. it. Um, I was in high school and I got to work at a watch kiosk in the mall. Um, still to this day, one of my favorite jobs that I've ever had because my manager was super nice. And it was a combination of watch sales and watch repairs. So I would do battery changes. I would like swap out the stems if they broke, change out the, the glass on the front of watches. And before I worked there, I thought watches were super dumb. I was like, I have the time on my phone. Why would I ever need a watch? Yes. Um, but from that experience, I learned like to love watches. And like they come in so many different styles they come with different movements um there's just such a different range of quality uh from different brands um and yeah i've always kind of wanted to print one but then i kind of wanted it to be like stainless steel um you have to take into account like different types of materials because they'll be in contact with your skin constantly so like that's kind of something to consider um i'm seeing people comment in the comments that uh, you also love watches, which is cool. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, so that's that's something that I've always wanted to print. And from a weird combination of, like, I would want to design it myself, obviously. Right. And then I would want to source, like, all the parts myself and, like, put them together. And I've just never uh, never gotten around to it. Right. Um, but that's the, that's the answer I'm going to go with. Nice. And, of course, we'll get there. We'll be – I mean, you can already get stainless steel. You have to have it decentered, and It's a little complex. You know, it's not – most of us cannot do it. You know, I'm sure some of the yeah. names can. <laughs> but um, I'm sure some of the people that, you know, are tuning in want to know more about the tiny belt printer, you know, about the, uh, the thing that, you know, makes it all different let me pull up a picture here sure. of the shadow of course because you know we don't like to give too much away but there's you know. there's something i think like to the mystery of it yes. that makes it appealing to more people uh, right so the tiny belt um takes everything that I've learned from 2018 when I built that very first printer to today and kind of refocuses on my goal of making the Ender 3 of belt 3D printers. Um, so it's designed almost entirely around standard off-the-shelf 3D printer components, the type of stuff that you would find on an Ender 3 or a CR10. Um, and that means that they're affordable, they can be found nearly anywhere for replacement parts, um, and both of those things kind of make it more scalable. So the biggest challenge I had with the Zero was I had an initial vision, and then I was like, oh, well, it's got to be Core XY, and it's got to have an all-metal hot end, but I also want to design around standard parts only so I was juggling all these things, and the result was um, lots of custom components. Mm -hmm. Another thing was I was like, oh, I have to have a silicone heat bed, right? I've used the P2 
PCB. Um, right. PCB heaters. I've used the silicone ones. Um, the silicone ones heat up way faster. That's that's what I want. Um, yeah. And it just it it snowballed out of control. Where all of a sudden the super affordable, accessible Ender Three esque printer that I was imagining um, was too expensive. Right. It was too expensive. Um, it used a bunch of steel sheet metal components that I thought at the time were going to be perfect, but in reality, they're just super heavy, right? And I was like, oh, well, heavy doesn't really matter. That was my thought at the time. But in reality, the weight of the printer matters tremendously yep. because it's not just the raw cost of the material. That's pretty cheap, but then it's shipping from China, and then it's shipping from me to whoever is receiving it. So it's like you get hit with a weight tax almost at every leg of the of the journey, right. um, and that was just something I didn't even didn't even imagine when I was just starting. Out. Um, so the tiny belt is intended to really be that Ender three that can I can buy fifty units or I can buy a hundred thousand units because all the parts are already on the shelf at the. Uh, 3D printer suppliers um, right. in China. They just have to take them off the shelf and hand them to me. Uh, the custom parts, we still have a bunch of them, um, but I'm printing as much as we possibly can. Um, and we're putting uh, sheet metal parts only where I think they're needed. So there's right. going to be two sheet metal parts. There's going to be one for the X gantry, and there's going to be one for the hot end assembly. Uh, both right. of the rolling components. So they'll be super stiff, very flat. Um, and those are two of the things that I ch that were challenging when making the, the first prototype. Right. Um, so what, what makes the Tiny Belt different from the Zero that I don't know if anyone in the chat has? I, you know, I didn't, unfortunately, get one. I was waiting for, you know, things to progress. But what makes it different, better, whatnot? Sure. So it's uh it has some things are better, some things that I don't quite like as much as a pure printing nerd. Um, but it is different. Um compared to the zero, it'll take up less space on your desk, but it'll actually have a larger build volume. Um some of the uh components that made up the core XY assembly on the zero uh ended up taking up more space than maybe they they needed to, so it doesn't really optimize for desk space. Um, the d another big difference is the extruder. So it's going to have a dual drive extruder compared to the single gear on the Zero, uh, but it's going to be a Bowden tube setup instead of direct drive. I like direct drive systems, yep. um, but kind of my inspirations behind some of these design decisions is um, Prusa, on one hand, um, yep. if, if Prusa can print 90% of their parts and people and still be successful, why can't right. I do that? Does it all have to be sheet metal? Um, right. And then when it comes to direct drive, um, I don't have numbers behind it, but I imagine most of the printers people are really using are all Bowden setups, right? The the let's CR. Let's the, make a poll. The <laughs> yeah, let's make a poll. Let's figure out uh, at least for the stream. Um, are you using the majority Bowden setups or direct drive setups? But the Ender 3, uh, the CR30, the 
the CR10, they're all using Bowden setups and people seem okay with it. Um, if you go up a couple steps, Ultimaker still uses a Bowden setup, right? And they're selling, you know, $10,000 machines to mostly businesses these days. So if they can be successful, why can't a Bowden setup be okay? Right. Um, the hot end is going to be a Mark 8 style um, hot end where the Bowden tube goes all the way down to the nozzle. I'm not crazy about that, but upgrade parts are easy to find. Um, right. You can get a heat, ba- a heat brake replacement um, on Amazon for like less than 10 bucks. Um, you can get some uh, copperhead components from Slice Engineering. Those should be able to bolt right into place if you want something a little bit more high end. Um, so it gives people starting point for belt printers mm-hmm. that should be accessible um, and then they can kind of make it their own from there. Um, and I think having that starting point is so important because my first printer was a box of parts sent straight from China that I um, split 50-50 with my roommate at the time because again I was in college and didn't have a ton of money um, and like just being able to get my feet wet with like an in-depth printing experience um, and uh, just learn and grow from there Mm -hmm. um, was so useful for me um, that I want other people to have that same option, but for bell printers. Nice. Um, So, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk in the community about on the iFactory one, the Creality CR30, the, the belt, material i guess there's been issues throughout production and issues holding on to you know materials just there was a video that 3d printing nerd had where one of his things just fell right off and that was today's video you know um what what makes your belt different better whatnot than the creality seems like just like a belt yeah, so someone actually sent me one of the Creality belts. So it's really okay. cool for me to be able to like hold and feel both and like compare them, even though I haven't printed on the Creality belt yet. Um, so they're so, so different. Like I was surprised how different they were. Uh, first, um, our belt is thinner. It's like okay. half to a third the thickness of the Creality belts. Um, and that's important when getting heat transfer from the heated bed through the conveyor belt so the stuff will actually stick to it um our belt is a real non-porous print surface Mm -hmm. so i think that's a big difference because i think it helps when you're trying to use adhesives um like glue stick or magigoo or any of those things um on the belt itself i just maybe anyone who has a, a cr30 can um shoot me an email or a message or something. Um, But their belts are, like, lightly porous, where I get worried that, like, a glue stick or something would, like, sink in and maybe not be as effective. I don't know. Um, But our top surface is uh, green PET polyester tape. Um, And that is a print surface that has been around since, I don't know, 2014. Um, It's not super popular. Um which confuses me because I've used PEI surfaces and Mm -hmm. I've used PET surfaces. And at least in my experience, they tend to perform similarly, like strangely similarly Mm -hmm. 
but the PET tape is like one tenth of the cost of PEI. Right. Um, and I think cost is so important when you're looking at not just like a little eight by eight inch square of material for the print bed, but you're looking at like uh, square feet of material for the belt itself. Like that cost multiplies super quickly. Um, right. And in an effort to make something that's um, super affordable accessible for people um that cost uh is a is a deterrent right i mm -hmm. think um i think one of the big reasons why the white knight hasn't been more widely adopted um is that a lot of people don't know like the belt itself um is like five hundred dollars like Jeez. just just the belt with the stainless oh, steel shim plus like the beautiful, admittedly beautiful custom build tag surfaces, um, <laughs> looks great, but it's really expensive. Like right. when it's when it's two thirds the cost of a Prusa or the full cost of getting a CR10. Like that's that's a hurdle that I think a lot of people can't overcome. Right. Um, so uh, making stepping a, stepping back to Bodner Direct Drive, looks like forty percent. 4% direct drive, 44% both, and 11% Bowden. So direct drive, it's almost a 50-50 split. I'm going to call that a 50-50. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> close. Um, I've only ever used Bowden once, and I was not a fan of it personally. But gotcha. just things in it, you know, but learning how to tune. Uh, anyway, continuing yeah. the belt conversation. <laughs> no, I think those results are super interesting, actually. Um for the longest time, I ran a 50-50 combination of uh, direct and Bowden tubes. Um, but recently, I converted my Ender 3 to direct drive, and it has made me so happy um, <laughs> compared to the, the print quality I was getting before. So, um, Anyway, creating a belt that is both um, inexpensive... Mm -hmm. I can order material in small volumes. Super important for me. Like, I reached out to some belt companies, and they were like, oh, great, our minimum order is $10,000. And I'm like, well, it, it's not, not going to work. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so inexpensive. I can order materials in small volumes. A real print surface that works with a lot of different materials um, is all really important to me. Um, so our Formula 32 belts, I've tested with uh, carbon fiber fill materials, wood fill materials, PLA, PETG, works shockingly well with ABS, like no glue stick whatsoever, just really? a hot bed. Um, okay. um, it works so well it surprised me. I thought for sure like it would barely stick um, or um, it would just warp like crazy, but it, uh, it works. Um, I've tried nylon. Nylon required a lot of glue sticks. Probably, yep. uh, probably like a, a magic. Excuse me. I'm going to have to drink some more. No, go ahead. No, you're good. Lots of comments from Chris Lane and Bill Steele on the belts. Looks, sounds like they've got some interesting stuff. And Masumi makes conveyor belts, which Chris Lane's testing. So that's an interesting option, but that's more readily available. Now, sure. One of the big questions being PET tape. When I started, it was a lot of PEI and glass. Yeah. And I ruined a lot of PEI. I still ruin PEI. <laughs> how how resilient is this stuff going to be to tearing? You know, you say you get your nozzle too close, and 
you know, are we going to tear the material on that bed and be down for a week waiting on a new belt? You know, it, um, what's the, you know, everyone does it. It's everyone it's does universal. It. I've done so, it myself. Exactly. Um, actually, I got the nozzle too close and made a rough spot in the belt mm -hmm. on the zero just, uh, just last week. So it's, uh, it happens. Um, it's, again, surprisingly resilient. And I think it's resilient because um, because you can roll the parts off the conveyor okay. belt. So when at least I use uh, PET tape and glass on um, my printer uh, behind me, um, a lot of the damage comes with, I guess, the ripping of the part off the conveyor or off the plates when I'm done printing and trying to scrape underneath it. Um, but because you're rolling, you're actually just applying force to the part in such a small amount at a time that I haven't had many issues. Um, also, I think because um, the material under the PET tape is soft, it's not hard glass, you're, you get a little bit more forgiveness with the nozzle being close to it. Um, I don't know for sure, but that's just my theory. Um, right. So I think um, so far of our Formula 32 belt customers, I haven't had, um, I've had like one, <laughs> one person be like, ah, oh, I tried my first print and I ripped a hole in it. Um, this is you... why there's questions in the chat. <laughs> yeah, these, you know, Viking Chris Chaps, you know, they know what I've done. <laughs> you know this is why there's questions i'll be that one so <laughs> what's what's good is right now i'm uh building some machines to help automate and also improve the quality of mm -hmm. our formula 32 conveyor belts i don't have a timeline on when the, the right. new and improved version will be there but i imagine that um belts will become more uh the, the lead time on them, I won't be making them with as much manual labor um, as, uh, as I have so far. Um, so we'll be able to crank more out more consistently, um, have replacements readily available, and the, the quality specifically around the thickness of the belts should improve. Um, so that's something we can look forward to. That'd be good. Um, just adding a link for people down below if they want to look, check out the Formula 32 belts. Um, nice. are, now, the big question is, you know, some people are going to overbuild. Some people eventually will have larger belt printers. You know, how is there a limit to the length of the belt? Um, the only limit is the space that I currently have and, okay. I guess, the, the fixtures that I currently have. Um, other than that, that's another thing I really like about it is um, it's very scalable, both up and down, based okay. on the materials that we use in the process. Um, so the biggest belt I've made so far, I think, was um, 20 inches by 60 inches. Wow. So almost two feet by almost five feet. Exactly. Okay. Um, so that was a huge belt. It, I definitely ran into some challenges and some things that I learned about how the materials bond together and making sure everything is nice and super flat um, and consistent across the whole thing. Um, right. But again, some of the, the robots that I'm building 
um, will help with that manufacturing process. Um, right. And the robots are really just 3D printers that are very special. Uh, yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Um, the other thing, as this relates to the tiny belt, something that I love about this current design is that it's also very scalable. Like bigger extrusions, longer extrusions, um, larger build plates, um, longer motion belts. And that's about all you need. So like, again, no promises or anything, but I'm excited to see uh, kind of like how I can scale up the design or how other people can scale up the yeah. design. And I guarantee Once. people will be scaling. I'd scale if I had <laughs> some more space, but I'm yeah. in a small 12 by 10 room. Um, so compared to, you know, a standard Cartesian or a Voron or whatever else, or, you know, a Delta printer, what, what drew you to design besides the price? You know, we've already talked about that, but what drew you to design a belt printer versus just something else? Yeah. Uh, for me, it was all about automation. Okay. Um, so when, again, going back to my last year in school, with that acrylic frame, i3 printer, um, that I just remember the other day. At one point, I messed up the, the Z end stop um, and its placement. And so I would just home the printer and then pause when it started. And then I would manually mm -hmm. adjust the lead screws to get it back down to the build plate. I think that's so fun. Um, right. Anyway, <laughs> um, I started selling parts out of my apartment. I teamed up with 3D Hubs, um, who allowed anyone with a 3d printer basically to get on their platform and i was the only 3d printing hub in northwest ohio so i was taking in orders i had that printer paid for in full within six months of listing my services um nice. and at the same time i was running the makerspace so students colleagues um, my peers at the time would come to me at the end of the semester and be like hi i need 10 parts and I'd be like, well, we have two fifth-gen MakerBots, and all your parts are going to take two weeks to make. I yep. can't help you. Can we change yeah. the design? All those things. But so I was managing parts for students two blocks away at the lab. I was managing parts for my customers um, in my apartment, and it just felt so real to me how the automation problem um, exists. Yeah. Um, and then as I started working in industry, um, it stood out to me that nearly every other manufacturing process is automated. Like mm -hmm. injection molds are totally automated. Um, right. They have CNC mills that like you put a pallet of aluminum stock on one side and you take a pallet of perfectly packed parts placed mm -hmm. by robot arms in their <laughs> crates on the other side. And then the owners turn off the lights and they go home. Like, they're not coming back to the shop at 3 in the morning because right. uh, their CNC machine needs the plate change. Um, so that, again, just screams to me that, like, it needs to be automated if we're going to take printing to the next level. Um, and, again, I think the accessibility of it is, again, so important to me. Um, if, if the barrier to entry is $10,000... Um, then individuals who want to start printing and selling parts, a lot less of them are going to do that. And if you're a business looking at uh, a startup trying to make the next uh, Nest thermostat or whatever, 
looking at a ten thousand dollar printer or a ten thousand dollar injection mold you know the injection mold um is tried and true it's established uh you don't want to gamble the same money on something that hasn't really been uh vetted out for for decades so those those were all my my long-winded motivations <laughs> behind, <laughs> right. behind the belt printer um i will say that i built it because of the automation but then mm -hmm. as i started using it more and more i totally fell in love with the infinite 3d printing aspect and being yes. able to print stuff yeah. that's longer than the machine mm -hmm. just like it's so satisfying to watch it like breaks my brain a little bit in how it works um and as I've surveyed people and talked to more and more people who are interested in it, I'm always surprised by how many people are like, I want both. Like I legitimately mm -hmm. want both key value points from yes. this style of machine. Like I can imagine myself wanting to print uh, a cosplay sword one day, but also most days be printing um, mm -hmm. my battery holder for yeah. an eccentric tool that I sell on Etsy. Right. Um, and that that speaking <laughs> of that, you know, obviously, you know, last year everything blew up. Um, there were a bunch of people printing face masks, face bands. You know, I was part of a huge effort here in Colorado where we yeah. had about a hundred thousand face shields. That is so over, many with three hundred makers. <laughs> and the thing that drove everybody nuts was having to get up at three in the morning to start another print or you know maintaining that and. The 3D, the belt printers came just a little too late to the show to make a difference. But an army of belt printers, it would have been, we could, we probably could have done another 20, 30,000. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I was a part of kind of like a local New York effort at the time where um, we were also printing face shields and I was running like, all my printers around the clock. Yep. Um, I was also scraping off plates all the time. And so like, I felt that damaging pain. Plates. Yep. I felt also damaging plates. Yep. Um, I felt that pain all over again. And I'm like, this is why yep. we need it to be automated. Um, yep. And to your point, that movement was all over the world. Like mm -hmm. all it was. over it was the world. And so Prusa started it with their design. Yeah. Know? Yeah, Prusa started with their design, and then, oh my gosh, I can't believe I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Buckman, Buckman, mm -hmm. 3D, something like that. He created his own design and kind of like kicked it off in the United States at like a whole other level. Um, so cool. And I think it's just like a tiny case study of what this could do for manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Like I can imagine real distributed manufacturing like and admittedly um there's more to manufacturing than just making plastic parts but plastic parts are a part of so many other consumer products mm -hmm. um where it can be one very automated part and then we can work on the hardware the heat set inserts all of that we can do that in a secondary stage um yeah. but i imagine that um someday um a machine shop or a ups store could plug in an automated printer and people could order their parts and just like walk into their local ups store i'm thinking of like those brands that already have worldwide presence um and get their parts on demand in lots of different quantities and 
those stores can like plug in multiple different cells um, and increase capacity. I think it's uh, I think it's a really cool possibility. For them. Right. Um, going back directly to the tiny belt. Um, so big questions. And I'm sure people are wondering why Kickstarter, why choose a platform like that instead of just putting it on your site and setting it for pre-order, you know, is it the, and then the big question is with Kickstarter, say you hit, you don't hit the numbers. Is that going to stop you from continuing? You know, say you set a whatever number goal, you know, what explain your thought process if you wouldn't mind, you know? Sure. Um, I have thought about, answers to like two-thirds of that mm-hmm. um so the first the first part being why kickstart um and there's a few different reasons the first one is i did a survey this whole figuring out which side my hands can be visible on is right. really it's tough yeah yeah it's, it's tough because it's, <laughs> it's reversed it's, it's my right hand i'm gonna yes. remember that hopefully um there's a couple reasons the first one is that i ran a survey right i just put uh, a survey out there towards the end of 2020 was really trying to plan for this year and what power about would become because honestly at the time it wasn't going great um and um i put out a survey one of the questions was um i hate kickstarter was how do you feel about kickstarter and the options were i hate kickstarter not ever i'm okay with kickstarter from companies that like i'm familiar with um and then there was also one for people to um enter in their own comments which was Really fun to read through. Um, and uh, 70% were like, if it's a company I'm familiar with, I'm cool with it. And so I was like, okay, clearly there's something more here where um, the people who hate Kickstarter are just the loudest people, right? Because it's it feels, um, as a community, people just hate, hate, hate Kickstarter. Um, but the data says otherwise. Um, and then my second reason is that it works. Right. If you look at Big Tree Tech and Creality alone, yep. Big Tree Tech did a Kickstarter last year. Creality did two Kickstarters last year, raising millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. It just works. And right. I tried. I tried the pre-order thing. Right. I wanted to be the I've person who was like, "I see. I see you. I hear you." Kickstarter. I've been burned on Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna do a Kickstarter. Um, I'll just do pre-orders. Yep. And I got crickets, right? I sold 20 machines, not 10,000 machines. I, uh, um, admittedly, um, I didn't do a great job of marketing it. I've learned mm-hmm. a lot more about that as mm-hmm. time has grown on. Um, so it works. Yep. The media likes it. The media likes sharing it and writing about it uh, so that you don't have to pay $1,000 for every article that gets written about you. That right. is a real thing that I've learned as a part of running a business, which feels strange, but it's, it's the truth. Um, right. It works. And if it works and if it helps us get to the next stage, then I think it's worth it. Um, with the, um, yeah, what was the second part of your question? What uh, happens if we don't hit our goal? Yeah. What um, happens if Kickstarter does just, you, you hit 50%, you hit 70%, you know, what, you know, um, I haven't figured that out yet. Um, I think that if we don't hit our goal, um, that the tiny belts legitimately won't exist. Okay. I have, uh, I'm planning to set it at a real goal of mm-hmm. what we really need 
to yes. be able to place orders in high enough quantities to get to the price point that I want to hit. Right. Um, so I, if we don't hit the goal, it's just not going to exist. Right. right? We Unless won't, you we, get an investor or something like that, you know, even, even there Kickstarter proves that it's something that people want. Right. Right. That's half of the appeal for companies, at least from, yeah. from my understanding. Um, if we don't hit the goal, that proves that people don't want it at a scale where it makes sense to actually make it right. like it can't be profitable uh, over any amount of time making 50 printers at a time. It just can't, or we'd have to charge a thousand dollars a piece. Um, and that's never been the goal for power belt or for the tiny belt. Mm -hmm. um, so if the Kickstarter doesn't work, I'm going to continue working on um, projects and products, all that center around making 3d printing more automated and mm -hmm. more and specifically fdm more automated yep. and more prone to affordable automated machines that can produce parts for people um but yeah that's uh that's, that's i think that where I'm, that's where i'm at today <laughs> nice um so obviously i've got a few more questions and we got to get some q a from them so we see if we can power through these um it, I, I assume like most 3D printing, this printer is going to be an open source printer. Once it's been fully released, you know, you do your Kickstarter, you're successful, you know, then people can be like, all right, let's modify. You know, if someone wants a different hot end, different board, different this, different that, or linear rails, you know, that should be, I assume, open to them. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the shorts... <laughs> no, Bill, I haven't shipped with you. <laughs> He'll ship them. Did we lose you? But thank you for uh, a few different belts at the end of last week. So I'm planning to make them tomorrow. Um, right. I'll have them shipped Tuesday, barring something horrible goes wrong. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, it, it, it's definitely lagging. We've been we've been doing so well for almost an hour now. I know. Um, I th it, so, knows. Yes. Um. <laughs> it knows. Yes, it knows. For the last time, hopefully, right? <laughs> the printer will be open source. People will be able to modify it. I want people to be able to hack and modify it, and make it their own. Um, it's going to be just the Kickstarter goal. It's not going to be mm -hmm. a stretch goal. Um, I have learned so much from open source printers and people sharing things freely online. Um, if uh, if Bill hadn't shared uh, the code to do angled slicing, um, who knows where we or uh, so many other belt printing companies would be yeah. right now. Um, right. So it just seems like the right thing to do to make it open source. Right. Um, I know at some point that there will be clones, and mm -hmm. um, that really bothered me at first. Um, but ultimately, I kind of just did a lot of a lot of soul searching. It was like, how cool would it be if we were able to make something good enough that other companies wanted to copy it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and surely that'll drive the cost down for right. a bunch of other people, and more people will have belt printers, and that's that's all a good thing. So. Yes. Um, few last questions. You already talked about metal and 3D printed parts, so we don't have to go over that one. Um, I'm assuming it'll be compatible with a Raspberry Pi for most. I'm sure most people like to have everything remotely accessible 
I, um, uh, I run my zero off of a Raspberry Pi. There mm-hmm. are a bunch of different queuing plugins that you can yes. get that are free. It's a, it's a great setup. Um, is, now, a couple questions about the printer itself. You know, um, Is there any concern about the cantilevered arm being a single arm with no support at the top, having it, you know, say you're printing really fast, is that end going to sway? Yes. Um, I was super worried about it at Mm -hmm. first, um, and I managed to talk myself out of it. And how that happened was um, two things. Um, I got it to work and not wobble and print nicely with a 3D printed arm mount. Okay. Um, It was a really beefy part. It was PETG. Um, It's almost completely solid. Waste of plastic. Um, But then my experience with the Zero really showed me how stiff you can make something when you're working with steel sheet metal parts. Yes. So um, this is our beta uh, steel sheet metal uh, mount. And it is just... It's so... I just moved my microphone. I hope I didn't blow out anyone's (laughs) eardrums. Um, It's so, so stiff. Mm -hmm. And um, on the back here, we have two different um, eccentric nuts. So, like, you can really tighten it down. Okay. Um, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. Um, Our aluminum profiles should be here by the middle of the week, which is really exciting. So I'll be able to do a little bit more testing... um, you know, qualitatively about like how much it might wobble or, or deflect. So, right. Um, last two questions and we can get to the community Q and a now everyone's seen the CR thirties mounted on the wall. Yeah. Is this going to be wall mountable? Cause there is a spot right there <laughs> for this printer. <laughs> um, yeah. I, when I first saw Repcord's wall mounting solution, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. It's going to save so much space. Um, and then I really like how he does bins mm-hmm. underneath it to divide separate parts yeah. based on where they're placed on the belt. Super cool stuff. Um, it will be wall mountable. Um, the back of the frame uh, is a big 20 by 60 millimeter V-slot extrusion. Um, but the wheels only move along the top okay. rail, top set. Okay. if you will. So um, I thought about it kind of as I was designing it. You could totally make a mount that actually bolts to the bottom part of the rail and nice. mounts to the wall. Um, 3D printable, hopefully. Yes, With 3D printable. <laughs> <laughs> Three, uh, it should be 3D printable and wall mountable. Nice. The wall mounts should be 3D printable and pretty straightforward to draw mm-hmm. up if anybody wants to. I'm sure there will be people doing <laughs> it within... A, I know one guy, that Zach, he'll probably do that right away. Yeah. Um, and of course, last question. You're using Ender 3 components. We all know that the Ender 3 has limitations in the materials it can print without modification, you know, all-metal hot-end, yada, yada, um, which, you know, will the all-metal hot-end be able to be put in as well as what won't we be able to print? You know, are we limited to non-carbon fiber, to non-over 250C? You know, is that going to be, or are we going to be able to modify it to make it use that? Yeah, um, fully modifiable, and because it's built around standard 3D printer parts that mm-hmm. thousands of other printers are using, um, upgrade parts will be cheap and easily accessible. Um, like, if you want to change out the throat, I think I mentioned, like, I already found some on Amazon that are two for $12. Nice. 
Um, boom, all metal hot end, easy modification. Um, if you want to do carbon fiber, um, it's going to use a standard Mark 8 nozzle. So you can, again, go on Amazon, buy a, a hardened steel nozzle. Um, I put a hardened steel nozzle in my Zero because, again, it was just a Mark 8 nozzle. Um, tons of options out there for where to buy them. You can buy them all over the world. Um, as far as materials that you can't print, um, anything's possible with enough modifications. Um, but out of the box, uh, you should be totally fine with PLA, PETG, ABS, um, as long as you keep the temperatures reasonable. Um, I know tons of people print PETG on stock under threes. Yeah. One thing that I did um, when I was designing the um, heat sink fan mount was I made sure to put um, a fair amount of plastic in between the fan itself and the heat block, and I left the top of it completely open. Okay. So what I'm hoping that that does for people, um, and I've been printing PETG on the Tiny Belts prototype almost exclusively, and it works nice. really well. I've got a 10-kilogram roll that's going to go through that machine. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Um, I left the top open. That way the air wants to escape through the top and not interfere with the plastic as it's being laid down. Nice. Well, that gets rid of the uh, interview portion. Obviously, we want the community to ask questions and get answers to what they're wondering because I can't ask them all. Um, but, you know, uh, let's start with Steve L. He's got a good question. Um, okay. I'll are you going to release the SDL files? He wants to print the parts. Is Steve a beta tester? Honestly, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, um. He, <laughs> I, I know I had asked in the Discord if you know we can print our own parts. I know you did say yes. So I assume he is based on his message there. Okay. Um, For sure. Yes, he is a thing. And, you know, that there's tons of colors. I have blues. I have tons of filaments. So... Um, you know, being able to print our own parts for the heck of it, you know, why, why not? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, people who are beta testers in the Discord, um, I want to get one printer, like, assembled and just verify that all of the files that I have now work um, mm -hmm. in person compared to just in the CAD model. Um, right. But after I do that, I'm happy to share the STLs with, with the group. Um, <laughs> I would be super interested to see like different colors of stuff. Mm -hmm. I've seen people's Prusa modifications oh, yeah. um, in different colors, and I think it's awesome. So. Um, big question there is, you know, in in the Voron community, there's a restriction. You have to print this with this with this with this to get the right set type of parts. Gotcha. Is are you going to put suggestions out there with your printed parts so that you know we're not printing parts that are too big, too small that are going to cause problems going forward? Yeah. Um, I'm happy to do that. Okay. Honestly, cool. I, uh, um, off the top of my head, I've been printing with six shells, 30% infill, four top and bottom layers. Um, okay. pretty much everything is at 300 microns because it's faster. Right. Um, but, uh, there are, there are some like less load bearing parts <laughs> like the LCD screen yeah. or, um, that you can just kind of do whatever you want. With. Right. Uh, question from Chris Lane. What's your, uh, mess? method for print surface belt tightening do you have a specific mechanism because as the belt heats up and cools down you know um it might expand a bit yes so 
on the zero and also on the tiny belt, one of the rollers is totally fixed in place. Um, and it lines up to the frame. That way you know that it's square along the frame. Um, the other roller um, is mounted with T-slot nuts in the V-slot extrusion of the frame. And then you pull that and tighten the bolts to move them in place. Um, it's not a 100% perfect system. But what you can do is you can actually 3D print little um, uh, inverse clamps. Mm-hmm. where instead of clamping down, you're expanding, um, okay. and then you can tighten the bolts, and you can put one of those on each side and kind of use that. Uh, the one area I find it hard to tighten the belt is it's like I'm holding the mount for the roller in one hand and holding it under tension and then tightening it with a hex key in the other hand, so it's a little bit messy. Um but it works. And then yeah. typically once I get it set and tight on the belt, um, it just stays for months and months on end. Good. So, Cause I know adjustments with, you know, Cartesian and Delta printers are quite uh, frustrating. <laughs> yes. Um, if you have to adjust the bed every day or something. Yes, like that. exactly. So here's a question from, well, this is my wife asking a question. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm so happy. She's watching. Right. Me too. <laughs> Is the inaccessibility about knowing, understanding which printer? Yeah. How do you hook like, a power will be Say more you go to Micro Center and there's five printers, you know, what do you get? There's no one walking. Ha- most of the people in Micro Center aren't going to want to talk to 3D printers. Yeah. So, you know. How I think, how I view 3D printing as a whole, and what I, I guess I wish more companies would do is, and something that I haven't been the best about in the past is just being very upfront about who the printer is for and who the printer is not for. Okay. Um, when I made the zero in my head, it was perfectly obvious um, that somebody who has never 3D printed before should not buy this printer. I was right. wrong. People that had never printed before bought the printer, super <laughs> confused. Um, they had never looked at firmware before. They had never plugged in a hot end, um, like actually to the board. Um, and that, that was never my intention, right? Um, the zeros were shipped as um, very nicely organized, but still a box of parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm happy to support over email, but there's only so much support right. I can give. And um, that's where the Discord will come in as it grows. For sure. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I think I want for um, Power Belt as a future, is to be very clear that this is meant to be um, still kind of an advanced machine in terms of 3D printing um, and that the base unit probably shouldn't be purchased if you don't have a bunch of technical expertise or you've never built a printer before um, or if you want to run it 24-7, 365. Like, you're probably going <laughs> to yes. need some upgrades yes. for that, specifically right. around the hot end is my yes. area yeah. of concern. Um, but as the project grows outside of Kickstarter, I'm hoping that we can kind of make those tiers mm-hmm. within um, our our store um, and have like the the maker version where you get a box of parts and then you have like mm-hmm. the standard version where it comes ninety percent assembled yeah. with the Creality experience of putting <laughs> in a few bolts and you start right. printing um, and then maybe an upgraded version with an upgraded um, hot end a maintenance agreement mm-hmm. I don't know stuff that people might want if they're like serious about using it as a right. business and don't 
really know much about Perth. Right. Um, question from Bill Steele, and you may not want to answer this just because you're trying to keep some stuff, you know, behind the scenes so far. But okay. I'm just wondering what what electronics on it. You already talked MK8, but yes. you know, um, control board, screen, whatnot. If I'm cool with uh, I'm cool with electronics right now. Um, uh, I picked out an SKR Mini, uh, so it has built-in uh, TMC 2209 silent stepper driver, so it'll do sensorless homing. Uh, which will be really cool. Um, That's good. It'll be really quiet in operation. Um, one thing I learned is that if you're sending people a printer kit, um, the drivers will confuse them, and where the mm -hmm. jumpers need to go will confuse them, yes. um, and it will require a lot of hand-holding. So I did away with all that. It's good motor drivers. Mm -hmm. You can't upgrade them unless you're upgrading the whole board, um, but no, no confusion there. Um, um, and then firmware, of course, are you running, you know, Marlin, you're going to run Clipper. What's, you know, Clipper's the new big name in, you know, yeah. I'm thinking Marlin. Um, it's what I know, especially for the, the beta units. Um, uh, it's what I know. It works well. It's well established within so many different machines where I feel like, uh, if people want to dig in and tinker with it, it'll be most <laughs> normal for them. Um, so that's where my head's at. Okay. Um, I've heard good things about Clipper. I've heard good things about rep rep firmware. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're but out of your current, yeah. my current skill set for sure. Right. Um, another question from Bill, you know, are you put it pulling the belt from the front roller? Or are you pushing from the back? Where's the motors or is it both? You know, you have them timed together, you know? Ooh, that would be cool. Um, but, Just uh, to see, but the problem yeah. is if one gets off step, you know, rip that belt in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, let me share. Yeah. Uh, uh, share screen. Make sure you select just your specific window and, um, okay. We'll show some cool stuff. All right. Go. Cool. You can see this. This is my, yep. my active working CAD model. So this is our, our Z motor. We're pulling it from the front. Um, one thing that I always struggled with on the Zero was when I wanted to move the belt by hand. Um, so I actually added this little hand crank to the okay. front. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see um, how right. effective that actually is. Um, but that was the idea. Um, the touchscreen is both um, a touch... The LCD screen is both a touchscreen nice. and it has a knob. Because um, I know there are preferences both ways. Um, and sometimes when, when you're dealing with uh, very affordable touchscreens, they're not super responsive. So you okay. have both both going on there. Um, it does look a little bit small, but it was the right price point. So okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, and again, something people can upgrade. You know, bigger screens, whatnot. They're they're out there. They are um, absolutely, and it's all very plug and play. So right, um, and then I know there's you know on the Creality there's the extension to make it go as long as you want with rollers. Ooh. Yes. Is that so, I assume that's going to be something. Here's a thing from and the fingerprints driving. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I have mixed feelings mm -hmm. on the whole roller assembly. Based mm -hmm. on my experience, I think it's overkill. Um, and we're also using really um, thin rollers, so I'm not sure it'd be effective across the whole thing. So this is uh, purely conceptual at this point. Um, then, uh, but it's a shelf. 
So I imagine yes. this piece could be CNC'd or laser cut mm -hmm. pretty easily internally. This could be an add-on that I'll probably do after the Kickstarter. Right. We'll see what happens in between now and the actual launch of the Kickstarter. Um, right. But I like the idea of just keeping it simple um, and not having a bunch of add-ons for different tiers and different things. Mm -hmm. um, but this is just a shelf, um, and then it'll have your standard bed leveling springs mm -hmm. on the right. sides. And then it can slide over the shelf, and I think okay. that'll do... Biggest um, worry would be friction against pushing against the part. The good thing is with Kickstarter, you could put that out there goal to make a roller yeah. system. You know, all, all you need are 608 bearings and some 3D printed rollers, and you're done. Exactly. Um, so that's you know that's going to be awesome and especially the way you have the frame it's add-onable it's not the end of the frame and you you can continue exactly. to expand so it just has uh um, and i'm probably showing too much of the cat eh. i'm gonna ruin the mystery um but uh, i think we're doing that anyway <laughs> it just uh it just bolts onto the bottom right okay um so you don't have to disassemble any other part of the frame you can just bolt just it on add it right on which um, i'm pretty happy about very nice so. um let's see Will the tiny run standalone? No computer, no Raspberry Pi. You have an SD card that's going to be usable, or does it? Do you need that Raspberry Pi? Um, you can absolutely run it standalone. Not only will it have a full size SD card slot, but it will be able to take files from a USB stick. No, such a nice. such a strange <laughs> feature that we don't have in most printers yet. Most, um, yeah. But when I was looking at uh, the electronics choices, I saw that and I was like, yes, that is what. I want and have wanted for so long, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen. <laughs> right, um, Gector was you know putting Clipper on. I know another guy, Zach, will probably put it on. Um, <laughs> if Clipper's but, your thing, more power to you. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's why we'll have access in the you know beta to the firmware and be able to help modify it. Um, sure. You know, and it, the Clipper community it's new. It's still new, so that's why it's a little toxic right now. Um, Clipper is great for people to install on their own. And I, I installed it on one of my Prusas and it did not work. It's on the Voron and it works great. So it's, mm -hmm. it, you know, some printers don't like it. Um, obviously suggestions on the belts, you know, keep them, you know, keep yeah. both of them moving. So you still have that motion. You're not stretching the belt or anything like that. That's um, an interesting idea. Um, yeah. One of the things that I've seen so far is like the front one is the, the driver and then the mm -hmm. back one is just kind a of slave, idle, master kind slave of, type thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just idling. Um, and it's worked on the zero, but that's something that I had never thought of before. So it's definitely right. worth, uh, worth looking at. Um, let's see. Liking. We didn't shun you though, did we? I hope not. <laughs> Um, Justin, are you a part of the the Clipper fan club? No, I'm both. I like Marlin and Clipper. Is it is it um, is it the best firmware that's ever been made? And no printer should exist cool, with a linear but, advance. <laughs> it's um. cool. I mean, even Marlin has linear advance. You know, yeah. um, you know, some people are pushy. Tutorials. There we go. Getting keep asking questions, guys. Um, I'm throwing some shade, but Clipper is impressive, yeah. and I'm. Overall, happy that people have options of different firmwares to have right. that are all yeah. free and open source. That's a it's a great thing, right? Um, let's see. 
one big thing I will tell you, don't tin the wires on your uh, connections. That's a big no-no in the Creality world. <laughs> do your, I, do I your have, ferals. I have heard that over and over again. Um, it's crimps connectors, curb connectors, but they're mm-hmm. expensive. Right. Yes. And it takes it's manual labor. But Yeah, but um, it, one, one fire? <laughs> you know... Nothing- not enough liability insurance in the world to make me want to tin wires after Correct. everything I've seen and heard. So. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm trying to pull up. Here's the Kickstarter thing. People are asking about specs and straight off your website. Let's see. Sure. So build specs um, of the tiny. Let you expand on that a little. Sure. So it's going to be... Um, Moving target in between 250 and maybe up to 280 millimeters on the X, nice. uh, 200 millimeters on the Y, which is your angled axis, and then infinite long on your Z axis. Um, I mentioned the 32-bit uh, mm-hmm. SKR Mini, uh, the touchscreen, which mm-hmm. is both touch and has a, a click wheel, mm-hmm. um, heated bed, uh, dual Bowden uh, gear extruder, um, you'll recognize it. It looks like you know the yeah, all metal yeah. aluminum design that um, is on the CR30, actually. Right. Um, and then the the Formula 32. Right. Uh, asking if the y-axis angle is adjustable. If you know, most of them are 45. Some are talking 30s better. 35. You know, I've heard that through the you know. So universe. is that my sweet spot has been 35 degrees okay. and. Um, it has become a weird hill that I, I'm here to die on. Um, 35 degrees does two things. Um, first, it uh, helps your nozzle not dig into the belt in any way. It gives you a little better angle based on the shape of the nozzle. Um, and two, it has a more perpendicular path for the filament to flow through the nozzle onto the belt. So you get better belt adhesion. Um I intentionally did not make it an adjustable angle belt as much as I wanted to. Um, If you read through enough articles, I know Black Belt at one point was trying to patent that. Um, And so the files will be open source. And what you do with those and your print angles is totally totally up to you. But from a point of uh, uh, risk mitigation, um, it's going to be a fixed angle. Nice. Uh, question from Steve. Can we do assembly? I know you had mentioned it in um, your original video for the people that got selected that we can. Um, yeah. If, you know, send us a box of parts and, you know, let us have some fun. If you are one of the box of parts type of people, I want to fully support you in building your own printer. Um, I actually just this past week started. Um, uh, Justin, can you close your screen share? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, no, it's okay. Here. There we go. <laughs> uh, so uh, just this past week, I started putting together the assembly, assembly. guide nice. for the tiny. Um, back in the day, I did video only, um, but because um, the CAD model for the tiny is uh, very clean compared to what I did in the past, uh, I started putting together a written guide um piece by piece so um i plan to send out a survey of uh of some kind um once all the parts actually uh 
arrive at my door um, and you can just click box of parts or <laughs> yeah. 90% assembled. Um, Cause I know there's always that argument with people of like, I don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. to put it together or tinker with it versus I really love putting it together. Yeah. Um, so. and there'll be live streams. I'm sure we can put together one here where we're, you know, looking down and everyone does live streams of their assemblies, Definitely. you know, something to guide through and fix things. And, you know, so something happens, you know, have someone else other than you assemble it. So that way we know if there's an issue for future, you know? Yeah. Um, let's see. I did say 250 millimeters wide. It but might go up to 280, depending cool. on how it shakes out right. when I actually build the first one with all the beta components. Um, and then I know you were talking Idea Maker as the slicer. I'm a big fan of Idea Maker. I've, I use it more than Prusa Slicer. Um, and then, of course, Black Belt Cura, because Black Belt's printers are you know, insanely priced, one of those you know, yeah. pricing ones, but they do have different options. So, um, um, Yeah, I've been... I was super skeptical of Idea Maker being a, a raised 3D product um, just because it is one of those higher priced mm -hmm. products. Um, yes. but they, it's free. They, but the software is free and they, yes. they just, they just did a great job with mm -hmm. it. Honestly, it has every feature that I could possibly want every lever mm -hmm. that I might want to pull right. um, support generation. That's good from what I've seen so far. Um, it has modifier meshes, which, I never played with before. Yeah. Um, before actually using them in Idea Maker because Bruce's slicer's interface just wasn't for me. Um, Bill, I have heard about uh, Kirimoto. It's on my list of things to check out and also add to our website as mm -hmm. one of the belt slicing options. Right. Um, someone told me that Kiss Slicer also does I've belt heard. slicing now, um, <laughs> but I can't confirm or deny. Right. Um. I've been happy with Idea Maker, and so I'll provide uh, profiles, profiles and how to import them and, mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, they're not wrong. I like the box of parts. I mean, I had to build this thing from boxes and orders of parts with my finger. <laughs> yes. You know. Um, so the box of parts is a, it's a double-edged sword, man, because mm -hmm. on one hand, my experience with the Zero has taught me that sometimes people who aren't in their soul box of parts people will buy them mm -hmm. and then they put something together wrong, but they claim that the parts are defective and then they're just mad at me. And like, I have no way to diagnose the problems from across the country. Um, if you are a true box of parts person and you've built printers before, then it's your best option. Right. <laughs> um, let's see. And we all know makers making his, you know, custom printers. <laughs> you know, uh, we got about 10 minutes left for those in the chat. You know, if you have questions, you know, please ask them, you know, you can ask them on Twitter. You can, you know, hit them up wherever else. Um, Let's see, make sure I get some links down below for information. You know, make sure you sign up for the Kickstarter. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you were nice enough to put the link to the sign up for the Kickstarter in the description. Um, I'd like to be transparent. Yes, Bill, I fully understand that. And it's like, um, anyway, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, Power Belt uh, recently made an Instagram, if you're an Instagram mm -hmm. person. 
and want to check us out there. Right. Uh, there's a contact form on the website. Um, and sometimes our spam filter is a little bit too um, <laughs> happy to to throw people into spam, but I do yep. check email. Yeah, um, I, I'll tell you. Every I, day. <laughs> everyone, I think everyone got spammed that was using Gmail on the initial uh, pick of oh who you're gosh. picking because I barely saw it. <laughs> Luckily, I checked it. You know, everyone's like, "Where is it?" You know, <laughs> but that's you know, Bill. I assume Bill is asking when you'll start shipping the tiny belt. I know you had originally talked in the thing about late September. Yes. Something like that. Is that still on track or is supply chain kind of slowing you down? Um, we ran into one hiccup uh, beyond my initial estimation. Uh, mm -hmm. And that came down to uh, two components that had to be lightly customized uh, from our supplier. Um, but I'm still expecting that order to ship um, this Wednesday. Nice. Um, and then that'll take... 10 days ish mm -hmm. to get here. Yep. Um, so we okay. should still be on track to start shipping late September. Sweet. <laughs> um, um, and if you want a box of parts, obviously I can throw that together much more quickly than something right. that's 90% assembled. So I can get those out to you. To right. You and we can build them together. You could be building someone's and <laughs> we could, you know, you and me or, you know, whoever else we could do a, a group build, you know, that sounds really um, fun. <laughs> yeah, that'd be freaking cool. You know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. Um, yeah. Ninja's asking if the main board allows external drivers. I know with the SKR Mini, is that going to be the E3? Um, or is that for, just the, a... for the beta units, um, it's going to be the SKR Mini V1.1, okay. if I remember off the top of my head. Um, so the drivers are uh, built in TMC 2209s. Um, that, I think yeah. they'll be good. Yeah, 20, everyone uses 2209s. You know, they're popular. Um, the CAD models, Gector, will be open, we talked about, after the Kickstarter success and once the printer's been released for sale because just like Prusa, they don't release until that way it minimizes, you know, the, the AliExpress clones um, that are going to happen. It's a. It's honestly just the right thing to do for the backers, in my opinion. Like, if you are one of the people that's going to say, "Yes, I'm going to to back this project and I want this to exist," um, it would be kind of crappy for me to publish the files and a company with a lot more resources can push out a clone that someone else can buy before the backers get what they wanted to support. So right. that's that's my logic. Is it's. Uh, in support of the people who, who would become back. Yes. There is a private chat link in our stream yard if you want to monitor that as well. For um, sure. Let's see. Some suggestions. Ribbon cable, not bundles of flexing. Um, releasing heat break, yada, yada. So just suggestions, you know. No junk in the way of releasing um, I love those ideas. I really do. Um, <laughs> the, the cable management... Uh, side of things uh, is an area that I personally often neglect on my printers. Mm -hmm. um, I will agree with that. On my but <laughs> through through our beta testers, I'm hoping that we can make something that's good. Um, the thing about ribbon cables is it uh, doesn't lend itself well to off-the-shelf components. Mm -hmm. And by working with off-the-shelf components, it makes people who want to upgrade or replace mm -hmm. them 
it makes their lives much easier. It makes our lives easier in terms of cost because anytime we have to customize something, the cost spikes up uh, impressively. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, long threaded nozzles and heat breaks. Yes, I I understand that. I've I've broken my fair share of E3D V6s. I actually don't run them on my Prusas. I'm running mosquitoes now because I like the one-handed done one and done you know, yeah. nozzle changes and for the price when i go through e3d v6s and a lot of the guys know i will <laughs> i do i there'll probably be a mosquito on that printer within six months if not sooner so um let's see replaceable main boards yes Is yeah it yeah, that'll be good uh, people might want to put other boards in you know depending is it a creality style hot end i know you mentioned mk confirmed um, yes. It, how much of a difference is it in price to do the all metal? You should. I would offer that as an upgrade in the Kickstarter because I know I'll buy one for the beta. But um, yeah. you should definitely offer an all metal, maybe a slice. You know, offer all these options that way people can make it theirs. Yeah, you know? it's definitely something that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, because I do personally use and like all metal hot ends. Mm -hmm. I think. It's the, the right way to go um but for price but it's it's price um it's not confusing the suppliers sadly um sometimes in the past when i asked for all metal i actually got teflon lined because <laughs> because you can only see the teflon from one side of the heat break i'm guessing um mm -hmm. so offering it as an upgrade or an mm -hmm. add-on makes more sense than i guess customizing it up Right. Purely um, from a logistical standpoint. And I know, you know, probably standard PTFE on the machine. The big popular is the Capricorn, you know, because it holds up to a non-all-metal yeah. hot end better. We will see what arrives, but I did yes. request blue PTFE. Nice. With, you know, the tighter diameter. Um, right. But again, we'll see what shows up. <laughs> yes. I might have to get a different, uh, a different shipment in. Yeah, well, that's you know you're the you're the designer. We'll let you have fun, and we'll just suggest as we go. Yeah. Um, for those in chat, you know, if there's any more questions, ask them now. Um, that because we are going to be ending here in a couple minutes. You know, we'll win over our hour allocation, but you know, little long wins. That's okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time yeah. and being willing to do this. No problem. So. It's your first official live stream with the world you know get out there get the questions answered and since i've never done one of these i didn't know how long my answers would be um, yeah it's tough because you're also nervous you want to you want to <laughs> fill the space you know and we do you know a bunch of the community does hangouts and all that and you know things like that and we got a few more questions we got let's see yeah i i agree with that you know but, excellent insight mm-hmm <laughs> yeah there's some stuff you just you can't sell you can't do this you can't do that you know um uh, mm. and i'm printing <laughs> with a one millimeter nozzle at 0.75 layer height right now <laughs> nice. that's why which is the first time i printed something that big and it's not really coming out too well it'll get canceled <laughs> but um anyway so for those of you you know hey in chat thank you for tuning in thank you for your questions anything else you want to add at the end adam um i uh just kind of as a as a closing thought again the link 
for people interested in the Kickstarter is in the description. Um, if it's something you're interested in, um, would love to have you on board. Um, it's been really fun so far working with the beta testers and the printing community as a whole so that we can make something uh, affordable and open source, um, making it, to, it together. Um, it's been really fun for me since when I was making the Zero. Um, I was kind of like in my silo. Uh, right. Um, and uh, it's been refreshing to uh, engage with uh, with more of a team. So right. uh, I'm happy with how everything is going so far and uh, would love for anyone to, uh, to join the journey. Awesome. So I guess that's it. I'm not very good at ending streams. I normally just hit the <laughs> button. You know. Um, the stream's over now. The stream is going to end about very any second now. And uh, keep asking your questions on Twitter and uh, sign up for the Kickstarter. Oh, and of course, good timing. Fun King 3D started a few minutes ago. So I'm going to go over to his channel, hang out with them, and um, we'll uh, see you hopefully on the next live stream, maybe later in September when things start shipping. All right. So, all right. Goodbye. Uh, well, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day.